this is divisions in the church. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. You are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today humble and wanting to hear from you today. Um, remind us that you are the only one responsible for growth. It's not any of us on our own, none of our flesh. You are the one who deserves all the glory for any growth. And I praise you for the growth that we do get to experience in your name. Um, it can be really painful. <laughs> um, and you deserve all the glory for anything good that comes from it. Um, I pray for the team that's leading us today, the worship team, the pastors, as they deliver a message from you, God. I pray that we all have listening ears to hear what you have to say to each of us and collectively as a church. I pray that you bring unity to divisions, um, whatever that can look like, and that we give you glory for that unity, God. Um, yeah, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a good time of the year. Anybody here like fall? You're, you're ready for fall? Anybody ready for winter? Who are you people? That's why we're here. We want to pray for your soul. Um, I'm definitely a summer person, but I enjoy the, the fall season. It's, it's a reminder that change happens. And every year as we see the trees begin to change color and leaves begin to fall to the ground and this, the weather and the temperatures begin to change, it's a reminder and I believe it's an opportunity for us to be reminded from the Father above that we can be transformed, we can be changed. And that's what we're talking about this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, my hope is, is that, uh, as I typically say almost every Sunday morning, my hope this morning is that you see Jesus. That, that visibly and experi experientially this morning you would know Jesus, see Jesus, hear from Jesus this morning because when you see Jesus for who he truly is, change happens. And we, we want to see you change, not because we're unhappy with where you are, but because we believe growth is possible in, in all of us. We're going to spend uh, two more weeks in Immeasurably More this week and the following week 
Uh, it's not the last you're going to hear about Immeasurably More. This is going to be an ongoing initiative of Ecclesia, sharing stories of, of faith and sharing stories of God's faithfulness. And one of the dreams that we uh, shared a few weeks ago was we dream of a church family that makes much of the gospel and seeks to follow Jesus together through knowledge of the Bible. And if I were to kind of break down that very complex sentence, uh, there, there's, we dream of a church. That's, that's a great statement. A church in Salt Lake City, that's a gift. We're thankful for that. And by God's grace, we have been able to experience that. We have become a church, but we want to become a church family. What that means for us to be a family, to be a community, a place of love, a place of togetherness, a place of one anothering, that if you were on our family call this past week, you probably heard some of this. This is what we desire to do. We, we want to take what is given to us in God's Word, and we want to be faithful in it together. We want to look at what God is calling us to be obedient to and walk that out with one another. And so that's our desire. We dream of a church family that makes much of the gospel, that we boast about the gospel, that we brag about the gospel, that we proclaim the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We have good news in a world full of bad news. We love good news. So we want to be a family that lives life together to, in one anothering, in community, sharing the good news of Jesus, and seeking. It's all about a pursuit. Did you know that if you're here this morning, you're on a pursuit? No one walked in this morning just because they just want to attend. Everyone is looking for something. You're seeking something. You're pursuing something. You're here this morning because you're curious. I tell people all the time, um, when I meet people out in the city, they ask like, so, you know, why, why would people come to your church? And I'm kind of wondering from their perspective, I was like, well, they're curious just like you. And they're like, well, what, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, they're wanting to know like, what is life all about? What is my purpose? Is there any meaning or significance to every day, day in, day out, 24-7? Where do we go when we die? These are the questions that everyone has, that everyone's seeking, that everyone's pursuing. And some people just believe that in this time together on Sunday morning, we're reminded of those things, and it's a place where those answers can be found. And if you're here this morning, it's probably because you're curious. And you're curious about, like, can my life really be transformed? Can my life really change? Can Jesus really be all he said he was and is? And so we're pursuing, we're following. We're following Jesus. We're learning from Jesus. This is a place of us coming together and opening God's word to speak to us, to, to teach us, to give us wisdom and insight as to how best to live this life. And we look to, as it shares here with us, through knowledge of the Bible, the Bible being the authority and truth of God's word. And so it's a very complex statement, but ideally it's, it's a people, a people coming together, seeking to be community, seeking to love 
one another, seeking to do life together with each other, to help one another grow, follow, pursue, seek Jesus, and know God's word. That's what we're trying to do here. And we dream of that. And why is that a dream? Because there's a lot of things that can distract us from that. There's a lot of things that can keep us from experiencing that type of growth, that type of togetherness, that type of good news, that type of pursuing and seeking. And my hope this morning is that we, that we as a church would fully step into our God-given potential. I believe that every person is looking for change and transformation. Everyone is. Everyone's looking for change. If you go and you click on Amazon, you type in change, you're going to pull up 250,000 books on change. Type in transformation, the new you. If you walk into your local Barnes & Noble, you'll find aisle after aisle of self-help books leading people to discover the new you and how to find the transformation you've been looking for. That's what sells, right? And one of the things, the greatest thing about Christianity is that Christianity actually gives you the resources to change. It gives you the power to change. We all want to change. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, how is it that we are to grow? How can we change? How can we grow into our God-given potential? If I were to title this sermon, it's immeasurably more growth. We want to see immeasurably more growth in our life, and next week I'm going to talk about immeasurably more community, and then we're going to switch until Christmas season, which is less than three months away. Can you imagine? That's crazy. But we're talking, how, how do we grow? How do we step into this? And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, he doesn't mix his words. He walks right in, and he says this, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. Now let me ask you, who do you have in your life who can tell you these things besides me? Really? Now some of you are looking at the neighbor, the person sitting next to you, and like, I know you were driving here this morning and, and the person across the car from you would be like, would you grow up, right? And, or, or maybe like you even think that about yourself at times, but like who do we have to tell us these things? And as harsh as they are and as probably as challenging as I could make this text this morning and be like, hey church, we need to grow up. And that'd be really hard to hear. It's actually a gift. It's actually a gift to have people walk alongside us, to journey alongside us, to look at those areas in our life that we're probably blind to in many areas, and have someone walk alongside us who loves us, who's not out just to point out our faults, 
but is willing to come along and like put their arm on your shoulder and say like, hey, let's journey this together and let's grow together in this. And that's why I love this picture of a church family doing this together and not isolated individuals. We need one another. We need someone to come to us and look at us and go, hey, I can't speak to you as someone mature in Christ. I can't give you this meat like you're an infant. You, you still need milk. And, and I want you and I desire and I long for you to, to grow up. And I think what's interesting about this, this text is growth begins with an awareness of where we are. We all need like this check and we all need someone to speak in and help like a wake-up call to the reality of where we're at. Where are you today? And I love it. I mean, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and God coming and looking for Adam and saying, Adam, where are you? It wasn't this game of hide and seek, even though Adam thought it was. He was going to go hide. God knew where he was, but he wanted Adam to take stock. He wanted him to go, Adam, where, where are you? Justin, where are you right now? Like, where are you in your life? Where are you in your spirituality? Where are you in this growth? Where are you in your love and your pursuit and your devotion to Jesus? Where are you? And I think for you to just take honest stock, an honest account of your own life this morning and go, where am I? We need a dose of reality. Now here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you hear this and you're like, man, I'm supposed to be like this elite level Christian, like Bible knowledge, like if, if there was a Bible quiz, I would win it. Like if there was someone who showed their devotion today, it would be me. I would, be, I would totally give my life for Jesus right here. And, and you're going to win that award, right? And you're saying, and there's some of us who immediately, like, all the derogatory comments come into your mind, and you're like, that's, that's totally, I don't win that. I don't, I'm not winning that award. And there's, there's two gutters. There's two places we can fall in this, like an honest need for humility and a sense of going, hey, we all need growth, and an honest sense of going, hey, where I'm at today, God loves me right where I'm at today. And, and I, I, I remember hearing a, a pastor say, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And that's really our desire. If you walk in these doors this morning, you're welcome here. In fact, I, I love my brother who walked in. I saw him this morning. His shirt says sinner and walked in. I'm like, hey, that's every single one of us who walked in the door this morning. Sinner. That's all of us. And so there, there's a sense in which we all need a reality check. We all need a sense of like, none of us are okay. None of us are, are, are really doing awesome. We all have room for growth and improvement. And, and, and so, but we don't want to stay there. And the thing is, is when we read about the, the churches in Revelation and we read about, I think it's the, the, the church in Ephesus that lost their first love. They abandoned their love at first. He's calling back. Some of us, it's, 
we're, we're just needing a call back. We, we need a sense of going like, I, I want to be devoted to Jesus. I long to be devoted to Jesus. And I'm, I'm distracted and I'm pulled and there's so many temptations. And I get it. And that's all of us. And, and that's the reality for so many of us. And so the, the current norm across the room, if you're here and you kind of feel like, I don't know, I've, I'm probably the one guy who's struggling, I actually want to say like, there may be like one person who's, who's like excelling and like doing really well, all right? That would probably be more the reality than you being the only person struggling. Now I get it, some of us are doing well, some of us are growing, praise God. All glory to God, that's what we're going to get, all right? So none of us are boasting about it because at the end it says God gives the growth and he's everything. But the idea here is, is like the norm for most of us, all of us, we got to grow. And we need some awareness of that. We, we need to go, where am I today? And you know where that comes from? It comes from community. Is this a plug for community groups? I'm going to make it one, Right? Yeah, if you're not living life in community, if there's not someone, you know what? I, I've always said, like, I was really awesome when I was single. I was. I was so awesome. I had no flaws. Like, the way in which, like, I managed my household was the best way to manage your household. The way in which I managed my finances was the best way of managing finances. My diet was the best. My ex everything I did was the best. And for some reason, I got married, and the person across from me told me none of those things were awesome. And some of you are like, yeah, I, I know I'm going through it, you know. It's real. And, and the reality is, is like, that's the gift of people. That's the gift of community. That's the gift of Paul being able to come on the scene. Thank God for Paul that, that he can walk onto the scene in the Corinthian church here in a group of people who are leaving a place of idolatry who have now found Jesus and trying to figure out what it looks like to walk out this faith in Jesus and people being able to actually come in and be like, hey, you guys think you're mature, you're not mature, I'm gonna show you why you're not mature. You really struggle in these relational issues and those re relational issues are evidence that you're not mature, you're actually an infant. I can't even give you mature things because you're just a baby in Christ. Uh, but let's praise God and let's keep our eyes focused on him because that's where growth comes from. And I'm, I'm thankful like that they have someone like Paul to walk in and, and be able to say that. And we all need people like that. And for people to be able to really know where you are, then they got to really know you. Which Knowing someone doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. Knowing person, like staring at the back of the person's head in front of you, like you don't know them. You know that they have a nice hairline or they don't have a hairline, right? And, but you don't know them. You don't know the ins and outs. You don't know how they, they live day to day. You don't know about their, their spiritual disciplines, their spiritual walks, their spiritual struggles. And it takes time. But those things happen in community. 
And here in the context of community, in the context of this church family, Paul comes in and tells them, hey, grow up in a really nice way. He loves these people. When we walk through uh, 1 Corinthians, when we taught it, it's like we can easily look at, at, at Paul and, and like, he's really mean. He's a real high challenge guy. If, if like, you know, it's, it's we're, we're, we're kind of in, in these common themes where like pastoral, spiritual abuse, I know what happens, but like there's a good chance that Paul might have been seen as like a, a, a pastoral abuser, all right? But he walks in and, and he says out of the gates, and that's where you got to know that his, his heart is fatherly. Because if you go all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it tells him that he's writing to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, to those called to be saints. In verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. He loves these people. And he longs to see them grow. And some of the good news in a statement like telling them to grow up is the fact that, number one, growth is possible that you actually can grow. And that's what I would tell every single person who walks in the door this morning. If you're here, you can, you, where you are today is not where you have to be. Tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Growth is possible. You can change. If that's all we hear today, if all you hear, if all you walk out these doors and hear is that by God's grace, I can change, that's a gift. So maybe you should write that down. You're not stuck. You can change. One of the things that you're going to hear is that just like a child growing up to maturity, growth is gradual. And it's probably not going to happen in an instant, right? And some of us, myself included, we're real impatient when it comes to growth. We want it to happen tomorrow. I think about our new church space being built out. If they would have told me it was four months, I probably would have said, ah, never mind. We'll find something else, right? But luckily, I didn't know that. I thought we were going to be able to move in like a month later. I'm just naive enough to believe that you can put up studs and walls and everything that needs to go in there, and we could walk in and worship a month later. And if, I, I, I believe that. And so when I initially called our architect and I was like, hey, like we can get started on the, like we can build this out tomorrow, right? I'm like, no, they laughed at me and the first guy hung up, you know? And thankfully, like someone was willing to take me on, you know? Like they didn't take our project on, they took me on. Because I'm impatient. And at times, I, I want to see things happen, and that's, that's us, right? Like, we want to see our lives change. Growth is gradual. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, so our, our eyes are fully seeing. What are we seeing? We're beholding the glory of God. And what happens because of that? We are being transformed. We're being changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's just a degree. It's just a degree. And most of us can't look yesterday 
and go like, oh, let me tell you how much I changed since Saturday. Right? You know, I did a lot of bicep curls yesterday, and I'm sure like all of you notice. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way, right? It's, it's like a long obedience in the same direction. It's like a continual like, pursuit of this that you're able to look back over a year and go, wow, I can't believe the transformation that's happened. And that's one of the challenges of why most people don't like, stick with this. It's because so often we don't have people. And the reality is, is we always can't see the change in ourselves. but in the same way, the things that we know need to be, the things that other people see in our life that need to be changed, they can actually notice the differences in us. And we need to continue to walk in community because they're the ones who can encourage us and say, hey, I've seen a change in this. I've seen a Christ-like way in you and, and the way that you've shepherded people and the way you've cared for people and the way you've loved people and your gentleness in this aspect. And I've seen this change in you, real-life growth. And, and I just want to acknowledge that. I want to honor you in that. And what a gift to be able to have people do that as well. Not always criticize, but also just be able to come alongside and encourage and exhort you. What a gift, right? People that would help spur us on. But growth is slow at times. But I also wanted you to hear that growth is inevitable. It's actually just part of being a Christian. Like, infants get bigger. Like, you're, me, getting bigger, right? And hopefully, I'm like, when is that time where we actually get smaller? Because that actually does happen as you get older in life, right? You start shrinking, your spine starts curling, right? But it's like, you get bigger, you grow, you get taller. Your shoe size increases. We're buying shoes for each of our kids like every two months. It's actually part of, and part of actually just walking out our faith in the Christian life is that you're going to grow. As we submit to Christ, we, we grow. And so growth begins with an awareness of where we are. Second thing that Paul references in this text is that growth is fought for by daily crucifying the flesh. Growth is fought for by daily crucifying the flesh. One of the areas in which Paul addresses here, and what's interesting is the title of 1 Corinthians 3 in my Bible, which isn't like this wasn't written in the original translation of the Bible, like translators have put this here for heading and for references, but it says divisions in the church. In reality, this section isn't about divisions in the church. It's just the, the matter it's it's using a division in the church as a way of illustrating that maturity, like if, if, if I were to title chapter 3, it would be like, grow up, exclamation point. That would be a great title for 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the case study for their need to grow up was, hey, you guys are having some divisions. You guys are, are disagreeing over this sense of like, why, of, of how growth is even happening. 
And this is just evident of like your relational conflict is evidence of your fact that we need maturity to, to grow up and to, to not behave like infants. And what's interesting, he uses a unique term here. He says, for you are still of the flesh. He said, you weren't ready. You're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? How many of you have ever used the excuse for acting in some way? It's like, well, it's only human. And that's what Paul's saying. It is only human. Your division, your, your jealousy, your strife, your conflict, it's the natural course of human life. It's only human, but it's not the way of Christ. It's the way of the flesh, not, the, not of, of what gives life. It is human to act in that way, but it's not a mature way to act. And that's what Paul is addressing. What he's saying here is, you don't wake up in maturity, you fight for it. You don't wake up in maturity, you fight for it. When we've talked about Daniel, when we looked at Hebrews last year, I think about the, the current state of the flesh and the world will always carry a drifter downstream. To walk into maturity, it's always going to require, it's an uphill battle, it's an upstream swim, it's against the natural course of what it means to be human. It's hard. And so I joked this morning, like when I was working on my mic this morning, I was like, everybody wants to change. And some, actually, not everybody does because it's actually really hard. Change is hard. You don't wake up into maturity. You fight for it, and so it requires a fight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So it's like if we don't want to walk in just a human way, we have to walk in the Spirit. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, here's what it is. If we're just being human... This is the world. This is what it means to be human. What is it? Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. And it probably he could just go on and on. That's what it means to be human. He goes, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Against, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. They've put to death the flesh with its passions and its desires. 
So if I were to kind of break down Galatians 5, 16 through 24 in like a two-minute version, it's this. Um, we humans, we're made in God's image, right? We're made in God's image. And we have this fleshly nature about ourselves. This fleshly nature of ourselves it represents the sinful desires, the corrupted desires of our heart. It's not in reference to our bodies. Our bodies were made good by God. But it's our sinful desires that give way to, to lustful desires and give way to sin. That's what James teaches us. And before Jesus saves us, it's basically our flesh is a part of us. We're, we're chained to our flesh in many ways. And what Jesus comes to do is Jesus comes to break us free from the enslavement, from the, from the bondage to our flesh, and it takes away the power of our flesh. And it reveals the lie, and, and the chain is broken. And now in this life, it's not like the flesh is gone though. The flesh is still around. And whatever you feed is stronger. So imagine you have two dogs, the, the spirit, the flesh, and it's like whichever dog you feed is going to be stronger. And it's, we're called to starve the flesh, to kill the flesh. And so we're not to feed our sinful desires. We're not to feed into these lustful ideas. Why? Because our flesh can grow. And our fleshly desires can become stronger and stronger and stronger. And even though we're no longer a slave to them, we feel like we're enslaved to them. And so we have to put it to death. And that's where I want to focus maybe for about the next seven to eight minutes. How do we put this to death? This is not a... When, when I read this text, it's, it's saying we can behave in only a human way or, or we can put to death the things of the flesh. Those are our two options. How do we put it to death? I, uh, I've been reading this book by Ray Ortland, and I would recommend this book for any person in the room, no matter like the, the topic here. You may read this and you go like, oh, that's, that's for guys. It's, this is not about just lustful desires, but really abandoning our first love and what it looks like to come back to a love for Christ who adores you, who cherishes you. But Ray Orland wrote this book, The Death of Porn. Men of integrity build in a world of nobility. And what's interesting, it's a, it's a phenomenal book about fighting the flesh. And all of us, every single one of us has this fight. And he, he writes in here really what it looks like to put to death the flesh and what fighting looks like. And I, and I, and I want to highlight this sentence because I thought it was key. You will win this fight. You will win this fight. Not because of your resolve, but because of the resurrection of Jesus. You will. You just got to fight. You will win the fight. It won't be an easy fight, but you will win the fight against the flesh. So he says three things you need to have in your personal fight. 
You need to know what you're fighting for, how you can fight, f- fight well, and what winning will cost you. And I love these. You need to know what you're fighting for, you need to know how you can fight well, and you need to know what winning will cost you. He says under what you're fighting for, he says in Isaiah 32, 8, it says, he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, it will never be shameful or sneaky. You'll never have to bend the rules when you serve him. He is noble. He plans noble things. He will call you to stand only for noble things. In fact, a whole new world of nobility. He said, I checked out that biblical word noble, and noble here doesn't refer to an aristocratic upper class. It's about a a person's character. He goes, this is what it means. It's eagerness to do more than the bare minimum. Eagerness to do more than the bare minimum. I thought that was key. Because when I think about our fight against the flesh, the things that we hate of ourselves, some of us just kind of go like, what does God require? I, and I, Don't do this, do this, and, and I'm just going to do that. Like that's enough. And he has actually called us into so much more, church. The idea that that God of the universe desires and longs to have relationship with you and I is a gift. It's not just about doing this and don't doing this. It's about relationship. It's, It's not about just doing the bare minimum to get by, but a generous wholehearted person who gladly volunteers to do all that's best for others. This person is the opposite of a foot dragger or a penny pincher. They are all in. That's true nobility. And I love what he says in this, talking to sons, and he goes, and son, that's you. I love that identity of going, that's been I created you to have that type of nobility. You were made in the image of God. You were made as sons and daughters of God to reflect the image of your creator. This is what we're fighting for, to display him to the world with that type of image. How can you fight well? Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart with all vigilance for flow, for for from it flows the springs of life. Many people believe they'll, they'll, they'll flourish their life from the outside. What, you know, I'm taking this in. But the reality is, is we flourish from the inside out. We believe that great things in life come not from outward advantages, but our inward resources. Which means, however bad this world gets, with the risen Jesus living within you, you can always have something positive to offer everyone you meet. His new world of nobility doesn't need you to look impressive. You are impressive. You just are. Don't worry about that. Concentrate instead on guarding your heart deep inside. Protect it with all vigilance. 
I love this. He says, your worst temptation is not sexual in nature, but spiritual. How many of us give up on God because he thinks he's given up on you? And he hasn't. He hasn't. You can keep fighting because he hasn't given up on you. Remember the passage we studied when we were going through 1 Peter? We kicked back to chapter John. It, doesn't, it says, whoever believes in me, not whoever deserves me. None of us are deserving. But he longs to be in relationship with you. He longs to change you. He longs to transform you. What winning will cost us? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, it says in Romans 8.13. And Ray says in his book, like me, you've got some bad thoughts and feelings inside. They can't be managed or or contained or long concealed. Like me, you've tried your own halfway measures and nothing has worked, right? Then you know what needs to happen? You got to kill the flesh. Those parts of you that keep dragging you down must die a thousand times. A big part of getting ready for your fight is turning over the darkest places within your life over to the Holy Spirit. He knows them all anyways. He won't belittle you. The worst parts of you are, in fact, where he loves you the most. But the time has come for you to put to death, with his help, the one sin that keeps you from going all in with Jesus. What is that, church? What is it that's holding you back? What is it that we have to put to death? In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, there's a, uh, there's a story, an illustration, where people, a group of people, are taken from hell on a bus ride to the outskirts of heaven. And there on the outskirts of heaven, these people who've just come from from hell see what appears to be a ghost, but they look at themselves. In fact, they're beginning to radiate. They begin to look like they're heavenly beings, and they begin to see these people coming towards them like they're angels. And there's this one man, this one man from hell who has this little lizard on his shoulder little red lizard that just keeps whispering in his ear, whispering that one particular sin, whispering lies into his ear. And the guy from hell hates this lizard. He hates the lizard. And eventually, as this little red lizard just begins to talk to him as he's gazing on the outskirts of heaven, He begins to turn his back towards heaven and walk back to the bus. And he hears a voice. Off so soon, the voice calls out. It's an angel. The man from hell says, you know, this little lizard doesn't belong up here. You know, this lizard promised to be quiet on the trip, and he's just noisy. He just keeps whispering things in my ear. The angel asks, well, would you like for me to make him quiet? 
Yes. Well, then I'll kill him. No, 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 no. Hold on a second. And the guy begins to come up with every sense of excuse or reason why that's just a little too extreme, right? It's just a lizard, like, surely we don't need to kill him. And he gives tons of excuses and evasions. He says, well, don't you want him dead? Well, that just seems like such an extreme remedy. Really, there's no other way? So you know there's no other way. And so with his mighty hands, he crushes the lizard. And almost in unbelief, the, the man even falls faint. And it says in, in the story, more swiftly than the storyteller can explain, man and horse head off. It's like this sense, this, this part, this fleshly part of him that died off, this fleshly part of him that was broken, this fleshly part that was, that was brought to death actually was given new life. And it says this man and horse head off at full gallop, not back toward hell, but onward toward heaven, over the mountains, climbing impossible steeps, quicker every moment, till near the brim, till near the dim brow of the landscape, so high that I must strain my neck to see them. They vanished, bright themselves, into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. Ray Orland talked about that story, and he said, Son, whatever the Spirit kills in you, he will raise to newness of life, better than before. He's not asking you to lose everything. He's asking you to gain everything. Jesus died and rose again to give you nothing less than a magnificent new you. But you can't drag your old fantasies into newness. They have to die. They deserve to die. And the time is now. This is what it looks like to fight the flesh. It's not pretty. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's challenging. And this is what it looks like to fight for faith, church. This is what it looks like to fight for growth. And I want to tell you lastly how that growth continues. We see in this, this text in verse 4, it says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, and are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He was basically saying, hey, don't be so captivated by them. They're just servants. They're just tools. They're just people. He goes, some say, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Did you know you can't make a plant grow? Like, you, you can do all the things, like, you can contribute. You can provide sunshine and water and nourishment, all the things that it needs. But God has to give the growth. And what, what Paul is referencing in this passage is what it goes on. Neither he who plants 
nor he who waters is anything, but who is? God. It's God who gives the growth. It's God. The cure for our inability to grow is to become captivated by His grace. To become captivated with God. Not to become captivated with Christianity. And that may seem crazy, but there are some of us who would be really good at becoming professional Christians, but not really good at being captivated by God. You know who the professional Christians in the Bible, like, that's the Pharisees. They're, they're the law keepers. They have the scripture memorized. They know all the laws, all of them. All 600 and whatever. They know them. But they're not captivated by his grace. It's one thing to be a professional Christian. It's one thing to fall head over heels in love with God's love and his grace. And when we do that, growth happens. And when we do that, we're drawn to the word of God. When we do that, we, we're drawn to the body of Christ. When we do that, we want people to point out things in our life and, and we desire to be shaped because we want to grow into Christ's image at all cost. Charles Spurgeon says this, Oh, you say, I long to grow in love. I want to know that I love Jesus. I want to feel my heart going out after him and my soul knit to him. Well, the way to grow in love is to know more of Christ. The more you know of the Savior, the better you must love him. The more you discover of his beauties, of his excellencies, of his virtues, of his perfections, of his glories, the more your soul will be drawn towards him. He ends this by saying, know more of Christ, read more of Christ, think more of Christ, ask more of Christ, because you will be sure to grow in grace of love in proportion as you know more of Christ. That's the hope. And as I started this morning, our hope, our desire, our prayer is that we would be captivated by Jesus and Jesus in our life would be the catalyst for change because Jesus changes everything. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same. If you're the same, you haven't met Jesus. And I'll pray. Let's close our eyes. Father, I know for some of us in this room this morning, there are some of us who don't know Jesus, and we know that. And we know that Jesus will change our life, and we just, we sometimes just don't even desire, we don't, we don't long to change. We don't want to change. We want to hold on to things. We don't want to put to death things. And Lord, I just pray that you would show us what is standing on the other side of that death. 
that a seed must come and die before it can be grown again. Lord, show us what's standing on the other side of our death. Show us what's standing on the side of putting to death the things of flesh so that we may be made alive in newness to Christ. I long for us to experience this. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning to become captivated with his goodness, with his truth. I pray that those in the room this morning would would desire to have a relationship with you, would desire to be changed by you this morning. For those of us who are in the room who would consider ourselves mature, Lord, I pray that we would keep fighting. Would you give us the resilience to keep going? Would you give us the resilience to fight for one another, to fight with one another, that we would pursue one another to grow into maturity together? And for those of us in the room who are immature, I pray that we will get serious about fighting the flesh. I pray that we will be confronted with where we are. I pray that we would know the love of Christ right where we are, that there's no sense in us that we need to change, that God doesn't love a future version of us. God loves us today, but longs to see us grow. And so I pray that every single person would know the depth, the height, the breadth, the love of Christ has for us in this room today. That you came, that you died, Jesus, on a cross while we were yet sinners, while we were doing the very thing you hated, you gave your life for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand that type of grace this morning. And that we would not use it as a luxury to sin or a luxury to do just the bare minimum. But that that we would go all in. That we would repent of sin. And that we, we would pursue you at all cost together. Following Jesus together as a family together. As a people together. Growing together, seeking the Lord together, following together. Amen.